Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.07 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 16th of February, 2022. This is episode 546 of Bitcoin and just in... Colorado governor on CNBC, the state will accept Bitcoin for taxes starting this summer. That's Colorado, ladies and gentlemen. That's actually one of the bluest states that you'll ever find, or at least blue when it comes to the standpoint of most people in uh, urban areas. You get outside of any of the cities in Colorado, and it is a different story altogether. So it may look blue, uh, on the outside looking in, but when you're inside Colorado out in the rural communities, uh, yeah, it's, it's not, it is not liberal. Okay. Not the, not the rural areas. Now that said, given that most of the population of the state does indeed live in urban centers, it is blue for all intents and purposes. And here we have the governor of Colorado saying that they're going to accept uh, Bitcoin in payment of taxes. And I find that rather extraordinary. I did not see Colorado coming uh, like this. (laughs) It's actually rather extraordinary when you think about it. The only thing that could be more extraordinary at this point is if New Mexico does it. I know you're saying California. I, you know, at this point, I don't even include California as part of the United States because it's just, it's so whacked out. I mean, it's just so filled with whack jobs that I, I don't include it, All right? So I guess the next best thing would be Oregon or Washington State. But for me in Texas, closer to home, I'm looking at New Mexico next. Uh, they could actually really use uh, getting into Bitcoin because after i can't remember what the poorest state in the united states is it's not alabama what the hell is it arkansas it has generally speaking been one of the poorest states in the united states but not close behind is new mexico uh at least in the uh in the outlying you know outside of uh, santa fe outside of albuquerque you know outside of the major urban areas uh in new mexico yeah it's it's pretty dismally poor but We'll have to see how this goes. So Colorado is now on deck. Now, I got to say something about, again, about the whole uh, honk, honk, hodl, um, trucker convoy um, fundraiser. I don't know, man. Maybe I shouldn't do it. I probably pissed off enough people yesterday about it. I didn't mean to. It's not like I don't think the honk, honk, hodl thing is a good deal. I just am speaking the truth as I see it. But it looks like nobody caribou is consulting Jay Weatherman for paper wallet creation protocol. And that 
worries the living snot out of me. I it's I used to like Jay Weatherman when he was, you know, hanging out with, you know, Janine and the crew and all those guys and like uh what Brian Trolls, uh they have a podcast and I can't remember the name's escaping me because I haven't listened to it in a while that um he got his start there and then kind of went solo and then and then he developed like Mathbot and a few other things but Shit got dicey real quick, and I won't go into it. If you know the history, then you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, then you might want to go start looking through uh, J.W. Weatherman underscore. Go to his account and look at his tweets and start back, I don't know, probably over a year ago or something like that. Uh, it just it gets a little gets a little weird. I am not a fan of the idea of Honk Honk Hoddle leveraging Jay Weatherman for doing anything. There are many, many people that would be more than willing to do this. And it appears that they've selected Jay Weatherman from what I've heard because he was really critical of this entire thing. And what better way to, you know, make sure that you're doing stuff right than to go find a critic you can find other critics that are better at doing this stuff and have a little bit better of a history than Jay Weatherman. I'm just, like I said, man, this is, I've been in the space long enough to know. I mean, I don't follow him anymore. I, you know, it's, it's, I, I'm, I haven't listened to anything Jay Weatherman has had to say in well over a year. I'm just saying, man, I think it's a bad idea. I just, I just do. Now we are talking about Canada. It's probably time for any of my Canadian listeners, if you haven't heard it already, your leader, Justin Trudeau. Absolutely right. This is a time for responsible leadership, not crass partisanship. The situation requires additional tools not held by other federal, provincial, or territorial law. It's what responsible leadership requires. These measures must be and will be compliant with the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. We will always defend the rights of Canadians to peaceful assembly and to freedom of expression. But these blockades need to end, and unfortunately, Conservative politicians continue to encourage the leaders of these blockades. Well, leader of the opposition. Well, let's get down to the basics of what this is really about. This is about the Prime Minister's ideological attachment to keeping COVID restrictions and mandates. 63% of Canadians want the restrictions and mandates to end. Conservatives presented a motion yesterday asking simply for a plan but the Prime Minister is in denial and is ignoring the science. He might as well be back at the cottage because he's doing nothing productive or constructive to help this situation. Can the Prime Minister tell Canadians when he will end the divisive, outdated and unscientific mandate and restrictions? The Right Honourable Prime Minister. Like I said, this is a time for responsible leadership to end these blockades. Unfortunately, the Conservatives continue to play partisan games. Uh, the Conservative member of Provence just yesterday... I'm sorry, I'm going to have to cut off the uh, Prime Minister just for a second. And just, I mean, heckling is usually throwing one comment out. Clever, hopefully, although not always necessary. <laughs> But what I'm hearing is someone bullying and trying to drown someone out. That's not 
heckling. I just want everyone to take a deep breath, and I'll let the Prime Minister start from the top, please. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Unfortunately, we see that even in a moment of extremely challenging times, when uh, people are moving forward with responsible leadership and responsible tools, the Conservatives can't help themselves but play class, crass political games and divide. Well, there you have it. Justin Trudeau getting savaged on the floor of his own parliament to the point that the Speaker actually had to stand up and, and defend him to, lit, uh, to enable him to be able to, I don't know, spill out whatever drivel he was talking about. The point being is that it looks like Justin is on the ropes pretty bad. Um, I mean, it's, it was, it's a, this is a brutal savaging on the floor of Parliament. I mean, we usually get this stuff out of, you know, you know out of the British Parliament. But generally speaking, up until the you know these later points in time where we've been with the whole beer virus thing and the mandates and the masks and the vax and all that kind of shit, you know, generally speaking, Parliament hasn't been all that you know disrespectful to Trudeau. But honestly, this disrespect is—it's not really disrespect. What it is is just people are tired of this bullshit and they're—they see through the lies and. They're just tired and they're speaking up on parliament floor. You know, it's just the savaging was pretty brutal in, in my opinion. Now I'm sure that there's people that have watched Trudeau get savage before and other leaders on the parliament floor get savage before. But in this particular time with the things that are going on with what he is being savaged about, I don't think the man survives. Now he's been elected three times. So, you know, I, I, I could clearly be wrong. It's not like I, it's not like I'm not wrong before, Greg. Asshole. Fuck you, Greg. I'm just kidding. Greg Greg is in my DMs telling me how I screwed up Freeland yesterday. Yes, I know. I screwed up Freeland. God, you know, I am, I'm just a human. I make these mistakes. But, as usual, better fish to fry. Bitcoin Magazine's Jeremy Garcia. Bitcoin's game theory has endless possibilities. Now, this is kind of a continuation of the discussion we had yesterday when I was reading about John Nash. Again, Beautiful Mind. If you haven't seen The Beautiful Mind, sit your ass down and watch it. It's going to be worth your time. <clears throat> In this article, I will suggest potential routes for Bitcoin's game theory to play out. So, what is game theory anyway? In layman's terms, if you are playing any game of strategy, whether it be chess, basketball, football, battleship, monopoly, or checkers, any move you make in the game will have to be counted, countered by your opponent. The strategic decisions that you and your opponent make will ultimately determine who wins and who loses the game. This is game theory in its most simplistic form. Undoubtedly, the countries with the highest inflation rates will adopt Bitcoin first and will be the greatest beneficiaries. Countries like the U.S. may take a longer time as they will still be hyperinflating their currencies with their powerful seniorage that they hold. When these superpowers do eventually adopt Bitcoin, all the countries who adopted it first will get an economic boost and be lifted to a more even playing field with the most powerful countries. This is how powerful Bitcoin can be for a country who willingly accepts it. Small countries in Latin America, Africa, and many other regions of the world whose money is collapsing will be anxiously and excitedly watching the progress of Bitcoin. They stand to benefit the most from it. 
All small countries will most likely continue to be bullied and belittled by the International Monetary Fund, central banks, G7 countries, and other central authorities to not accept Bitcoin in return for promises of, quote, free money, protection, and support. God, it sounds like a fucking mob. These powerful entities will try everything in their power to prevent Bitcoin's hope and prosperity from spreading because widespread Bitcoin adoption means their power will be gone forever. Central authorities up to this point have been ruling with fear, lies, fiat slave money, as well as taxation. The United States chess pieces will continue to attack Bitcoin with lower moody ratings, false narratives on countries who adopt her. The IMF could likely stop providing funds to the countries that accept this new technology's power of hope and sound money. When the world sees the freedom that Bitcoin can offer them from the shackles of their dishonest rulers, many more places will embrace Bitcoin. The darkness of the fiat world will be swept away and pure monetary light will shine forth from the beacons of Bitcoin. One of Bitcoin's greatest game theoretic events we may see play out is when the world's energy companies like ExxonMobil, Saudi Aramco, and others start mining Bitcoin. This is an inevitability because they can convert their excess energy resources into digital energy. Imagine what a world will look like when the Saudi Aramco decides to start denominating their oil prices in Satoshis. The reason that this is highly likely is twofold. The first reason is because of the unfairness of the petrodollar system, as explained in great detail by Alex Gladstein. What better unit of account to choose to replace this system than Bitcoin because no one can manipulate it? Secondly, oil companies will be able to make money through the mining of Bitcoin. What oil company does not want to make more money? One of my Bitcoin brothers, Harvard Hoddle, believes that energy companies will become the new banks of the world. In his own words, energy companies will create the Bitcoin and have the opportunity to hold it on their balance sheet by subsidizing it through the sale of energy. I highly regard his opinions because he works in the energy sector and has a pulse on the inner workings. I also highly recommend you listen to his excellent podcast, Bitcoin for the People. The United States has effectively become the first world power to allow Bitcoin to flourish. Here are the strategic moves that the U.S. has made in this chess game with Bitcoin. 1. U.S. adopted the internet protocol and does not regulate its internet companies like China. Bitcoin is the native money of the internet. Inevitably, more U.S. regulations will appear to try to control Bitcoin, but U.S. lawmakers will be raking leaves in the wind with their regulations because they will realize that they cannot control an open protocol just like they can't control the internet. Two, the Internal Revenue Service taxes Bitcoin as an intangible property just like tangible real estate. Three, the CFTC has deemed Bitcoin to be a commodity. Four, the U.S. stock market has allowed mining companies like Bitfarms, HUD8, and Marathon to list as public companies. Core Scientific Mining Company will likely be next. Five, mining companies are quickly propagating in states like Texas, Wyoming, Washington, New York, Kentucky, and Georgia. States are fighting amongst themselves to attract mining companies to their economies. Six, America has more than 35% of the Bitcoin mining hash rate. Seven, governors and senators are lobbying for Bitcoin. Eight, Bitcoin has become mainstream among stars like Tom Brady, Kevin O'Leary, and many other beloved and popular U.S. athletes, celebrities, and stars. Nine, major payment apps like Cash App and PayPal allow for the purchasing of Bitcoin. Ten, 
46 million Americans own Bitcoin, or roughly 17% of the United States population. 11. Intel and Jack Dorsey's company Block are going to start designing Bitcoin mining ASICs, making mining more accessible to everyday Americans. 12. And finally, regular everyday Americans will be able to buy Bitcoin at 300 local community banks sometime this year. All of these moves are part of a Bitcoin game theory. The U.S. will be forced to adopt Bitcoin as a defensive move, otherwise its world reserve currency status could be lost. All currencies since the advent of fiat have failed, and the United States dollar will be no different. United States senators, governors, presidents, and the military will use Bitcoin to win elections, attract Bitcoin companies to their states and the nation, and fight the currency wars we currently are in. Bitcoin will serve as a defensive and offensive move to allow the United States to retain its status as a superpower, but Bitcoin belongs only to the world. Russia might adopt Bitcoin before the United States in a strategic move to gain a head start against their age-old rival. If this happens, in the words of Max Kaiser, quote, a global hash race will begin, and that will start a chain reaction amongst G7 countries. The capitulation of Russia will be due to the fact that they will understand the correlation between gold and Bitcoin, which they have been aggressively buying since 2008 crisis. Russia has a lot of cheap energy, and they will start to mine Bitcoin when they realize how much money they can make given this excess energy. Another Bitcoin game theory event could occur if Turkey decides to purchase Bitcoin with its hyperinflated, worthless ass fiat currency, the lira. This will be the most important strategic move for a country who has a hyperinflated currency. The beauty of this move is that Turkey will be able to print worthless fiat to buy money that is appreciating at around 170% per year. Essentially, they will be mimicking what the U.S. has been doing since 1971, printing fiat to gain economic prosperity. The only difference in Turkey's case is that they are not invading countries to do it. Instead, they are just breathing life back into their country's failed economy by becoming huge beneficiaries of the first mover advantage. Turkey will start a chain reaction among all the other inflation-ridden countries to follow suit, and the world will look on with utter disbelief as Bitcoin rapidly gets adopted. G7 countries will nervously observe these happenings and start their capitulation even earlier. There will be great dissension during the transition from a fiat world to a Bitcoin world, but this will not be Bitcoin's fault. Wars may be fought, not necessarily kinetic wars or maybe even cyber wars, but rulers do not want to allow for Bitcoin. Why would the rulers of the world not desire a world like this? The simple answer is that in the fiat world, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. In a Bitcoin world, all people are treated fairly because money is open to all, immutable, universal, ungovernable, fair, and empowering. Bitcoin's game theory is an elegant, organic, phenomenal, and powerful thing to see unfold. I have to agree with a lot of this. Um, it, the one thing that I think a lot of us continue to miss is that it's important. Maybe we're, okay, y'all aren't missing it, but we don't talk about it near enough, I, I, I don't think, is that the United States dollar as the world's reserve currency right now is going to be the last shitty fiat currency to fall if it ever falls. I, and I'm not convinced that the United States dollar will fall. I have a gut feeling that the United States dollar will turn into a de facto stable coin. 
pegged against Bitcoin that the United States holds in reserve. I just, I don't, like I said, I don't have any evidence that that's going to happen. I am going with my gut feeling. But one thing that I do know, even if I'm flat ass wrong on that account, what I'm not wrong on is the fact that the United States dollar will be the last fiat currency to collapse. All other fiat currencies will probably collapse into the dollar. There will be some that go to the to the yuan, you know, China's uh, currency. But I get the feeling that most of it will collapse into the dollar. And then the dollar will continue its general erosion. Because what greater thing could you imagine being the operator of the printing press than to watch all other printing presses go away? Now you're the only printing press in existence. Does that mean that, oh, well, we don't have to print any more money? Oh, hell no, brother. You're going to print a shitload of money. You're going to open those things wide up. But if what I said at first really does occur and the United States dollar becomes a de facto, the, the de facto stablecoin pegged to Bitcoin, then that shit stops because it would have to stop. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to hold the peg, right? So I know that, I know that the dollar will be last to fall. I don't know if the dollar will be de facto stablecoin, but I got a gut feeling that it eventually will. Let's move on. Coinbase offers free crypto cash outs for transfers to Mexico. This is kind of interesting. I don't like Coinbase. If you do, hey, that's your, your, your bag, but whatever. Jeff John Roberts is, Roberts is here for Decrypt.co. Coinbase announced a pilot program on Tuesday that will let Mexicans receive crypto transfers and then convert the balance into pesos by presenting a redemption code at more than, get this, 37,000 stores. The transfers will be free of charge until March 31st. To arrange the transfers, Coinbase has partnered with the money transfer service Remitly, which has relationships with Mexican retail outlet, outlets like Bansify, Ban Capel, Oxo, Serena, and Telecom Telegrafos. The announcement appears to be a shot across the bow targeting traditional money transfer services like Western Union, which charge fees that can exceed 6%. Here's how Coinbase describes the new program. Quote, Customers today can already instantly send crypto to recipients in Mexico directly from their Coinbase app. Once sent, the recipient will receive a notification and can immediately view the crypto balance in their Coinbase account. I guess that means that they need a Coinbase account too. What better way to jack up your numbers and how many accounts you hold is to get somebody to force, one of your customers to force a potential customer to become a customer. Ah, these assholes. Anyway, <clears throat> if they choose to cash out any part of their balance, they can generate a redemption code from their Coinbase app that can be used to receive cash at 37,000 physical retail outlets and convenience stores located across Mexico, end quote. <clears throat> the company adds that transfer recipients can also elect to keep the crypto they receive in their Coinbase account or convert it into USDC stablecoin. After March 31st, cash out will incur a fee, but one that Coinbase says will be 25 to 30% less than the existing transfer services. So... I guess 2% fee instead of six, they're still being 
they're still working on the grift. Anyway, if the Coinbase program catches on, it could have a major impact on how Mexicans receive remittances from abroad, which totaled more than $40 billion in each of the last two years. Most of those funds arrived from the United States. In announcing the Mexican transfer program, Coinbase said it intends to expand the service to other countries where residents face high remittance fees, but the company didn't provide details on which ones or when. The announcement is also significant in that crypto has long been touted as a way to improve global money transfers, but has yet to gain major traction amongst everyday citizens. The company Ripple, oh boy, has made international transfers of XRP a cornerstone of its business, but its focus has been on banks and institutions. You spelled scamming people out of their money the wrong way, but I'll give it to you, whatever. We got other stories here. Fidelity. Fidelity International launches a Bitcoin ETP exchange-traded product in Europe. This is Nomsios, Bitcoin Magazine. Fidelity International has launched its first Bitcoin exchange-traded product in Europe in what is the joint cheapest offering available for investors in the old continent seeking direct exposure to the Bitcoin price, according to a press release. The Fidelity Physical Bitcoin ETP will list on the Deutsche Borsch Extra or Ex- Extra today under the ticker symbol FBTC and on the six Swiss exchange in the coming weeks. It will carry an ongoing charge figure of 0.75%. Fidelity International launched FBTC for its European institutional and professional investors seeking an easy investment avenue for Bitcoin following a Fidelity Digital Assets survey from last year found that 7 in 10 institutional investors plan to invest in cryptocurrency in the near future. Quote, Providing institutional and professional investors access to this innovative asset class as a competitive price point is our priority. Christian Staub, Managing Director for Europe at Fidelity International, said in a statement, Quote, FBTC offers clients an institutional quality solution to enter the market in a familiar, simple, and secure way. End quote. FBTC will be physically backed by Bitcoin held in custody with Fidelity Digital Assets, while Eurex Clearing will provide clearing services and Brown Brothers Harriman will act as the administrator and transfer agent. Fidelity International was originally established in 1969 as the international investment subsidiary for Fidelity Investments, the Boston-based financial services giant with trillions, that's trillions with a T, in assets under management, but spun out as an independent firm in 1980. London-based Fidelity International manages over $800 billion in assets from over 2.52 million clients across Asia-Pacific, Uh, Europe and the Middle East, South America, as well as Canada, per the release. So it's physically backed product. We still do not have one in the United States. Well, yeah, I know, GTBC or what, GBTC, whatever it is, uh, Barry Silbert's outfit. Yeah, they have Bitcoin, but you don't. You just have shares in something that says they own Bitcoin and whatever, right? This is physically backed. It looks like it's a spot, uh, a spot Bitcoin exchange traded fund, but it's unless it actually says that it is a spot 
I don't know if it's a spot. It's probably a spot. By God, at least it's physically backed by Bitcoin and is not this exchange-traded fund based on derivatives of prices, which is bullshit, which I still believe is being used at this very moment to keep the price suppressed. I, I know, I sound like Peter Schiff. Peter Schiff's not wrong sometimes. I can't disagree with everything Peter Schiff says just because I disagree with his stance on Bitcoin. But... He knows better than anyone what price suppression and price manipulation looks like. Why? Because he's been holding and playing with shiny metal rocks for 40 years now or however you know long he's been doing it. But at least this one is physically backed by Bitcoin, but it's only available in freaking, you know, from these guys. We, the United States is not, uh, population is not going to be able to participate in any of this shit. So we got to wait till our own comes out. And I don't know if that'll ever happen. And if it does, I have no idea when. David Zell from Bitcoin Magazine is writing this one. U.S. Congressman Warren Davidson introduces the Keep Your Coins Act. United States Congressman Warren Davidson introduced legislation entitled the Keep Your Coins Act this morning. This comes in the wake of mounting concerns over crackdowns on civil liberties in Canada as private companies and the Canadian government leverage control of the legacy financial system to disrupt ongoing protest over COVID-19 policies. If passed, the bill would prevent any agency head from prohibiting or otherwise restricting the ability of a covered user to, one, use virtual currency or its equivalent for such users' own purposes, such as to purchase real or virtual goods and services for the user's own use, and two, conduct transactions through a self-hosted wallet. So, here's a couple of questions that they asked the good senator, and let's get into it and his answers. I know self-custody has been on your mind for a while. What prompted today's move? Well, we started working on the text after it was obvious that Secretary Yellen would resurrect the effort to restrict self-custody. If they can't stop crypto, they want to try to move it to an account-based system. What does this bill accomplish? It takes the FinCEN language that's been out there for a while now and provides a framework for KYC that protects self-custody. This feels timely, especially after the Canadian government has doubled down on restricting the funding for and bank accounts of the protesters there. In your mind, what's the relationship between self-custody and free speech? People are talking about free speech with the trucker convoy. If this protest happened in America, some would be cheering, some would be upset. My point is that it should be even-handed. We shouldn't use money as a way of controlling people. Of course, if there's criminal activity, you should go after that. But imagine if the same thing were done to a crowdfunded BLM movement. That wouldn't be okay. It's not okay with the Freedom Convoy either. What can Bitcoin Magazine readers do to help this bill pass? If people read about this bill and support it, they can contact their representative in Congress and the Senate and encourage them to do the same. Hopefully, we build momentum swiftly and attach it to a must-pass legislation. Uh, I hate the writers. That's what he's that's what that means. Must attach it to a must pass legislation. So it's basically going they're going to wait on something that's 100% guaranteed to pass, like I don't know, raising the debt ceiling for the United States uh deficit and they'll just attach it as a writer to that and once the you know, once the must pass bill gets passed, then everything that's contained in it gets passed. And this is just a really 
icky way of doing legislation at this point, but it's what we have. Also, not really all that thrilled about uh, the whole KYC statement here, but you know, uh, you know, Warren is going to be politicians are going to politician. That's just the way it is. But you know, at least he's trying to keep Janet Yellen in check. And that's important. We need, well, like, let's say the law came down today that you weren't allowed to use your own wallet, like a, you know, a cold card where only you knew about the keys, only you knew what the keys were, only you were able to resurrect the wallet front with the keys, only you have the seed phrase, only you were able to resurrect the uh, wallet from the seed phrase. All of that should be only ever be in the hands of the people that hold the coins. And that's not what the Earn It Act wants. They tried to do this before, earlier, last year. It didn't work, and now here they are again. This is the way they do it. They will, if this one fails, they'll do it again. If that fails, they'll do it again. If it fails again, they'll probably change the name of the damn bill. They'll stop calling it the Earn It Act, and they'll call it something completely different, and it'll have the exact same language in it. Because they know we're not watching we're never watching these people. Why? Well, because we're fucking distracted by everything. Not least of which is the fact that our money is just evaporating in front of our eyes. What, we, what I used to be able to buy for 20 bucks at the grocery store, just going to the store is now 50. And that's, at, you know, after, a, I mean, I was buying shit for 20 bucks that I now pay 50 for last year, ladies and gentlemen. You know, that's halfway through this entire freaking pandemic and money printing process. That's, God, it's just, it's awful. So, hats off to Warren Davidson for at least giving it a shot. Uh, DBS plans to launch retail digital assets trading desk by year end. Coindesk, Sam Reynolds. Singapore's DBS Bank, which opened an institutional digital assets trading desk in early 2021, is planning on expanding its digital assets trading officers' offerings to retail investors by the end of the year, its CEO said in an earnings call Monday. Quote, we are starting the initial work to expand it beyond the current investor base of accredited investors, CEO Payush Gupta said during the call, quote, lots of work to do with suitability and anti-fraud. We should have something by the end of this year, end quote. Gupta also said the bank will take the first half of the year to focus on making access to the digital assets trading desk more convenient for its existing customers. Currently, users need to call a banker to place an order for crypto over the phone. The plan, Gupta said, is to make it online and self-service. DBS has yet to announce additional details about the platform, such as if you'd be able to transfer digital assets purchased on it to other providers or wallets. <laughs> yeah, like your own wallet. The Monetary Authority of Singapore has a licensing regime in place. Oh, good Lord. I'm sorry. Uh, there it is. I lost my place. For retail exchanges. In, in December, Binance withdrew its licensing application and recently shut down its local Binance.sg exchange. Recently, the bank expanded the trading hours of the desk to be 24-7 to match the tempo of crypto. Prior trading was done on bankers' hours with Singapore's time zone. In a recent interview with Coindesk, Lionel Lim, CEO of DBS Digital Exchange, said DBS Digital Exchange's full-year trading volume 
for 2021 was about $819 million. In the last quarter of 2021, trading volume was approximately $595.5 million, which was over double the trading volume for the three prior quarters. Last year, DBS issued a $15 million bond as a security token offering. STOs are regulated token offerings. The class of offering hasn't attracted much attention in Asia. Some experts have said the nature of the STO needing to stay within the borders of a securities clearinghouse is antithetical to the idea of crypto and thus won't attract much interest from anyone. Overall, DBS said its profit for the quarter was $1.03 billion, up 37% as the city-state aggressively reopens after the coronavirus shutdown. Oh my God. Oh, that's a lot of money, man. Uh, so DBS is now on deck. Let's run the numbers. Flammable liquids up. And so are shiny metal rocks. West Texas Intermediate up 1.74% to $93.67. Brent North Sea up 1.88% to $95, ladies and gentlemen. Natural gas is also up, 4.25% uh, up, by the way, to $4.48. Gasoline up 1.18%, $2.70 a gallon. That's going to hurt. Gold up. Almost half a point, 100, no, 1,864 bucks. God dang it, Peter. Silver up 0.87%, $23.50. Platinum is up 2.71%. Copper is actually down, but scant, 0.12%. Palladium is up 1.3%. <clears throat> Agricultural futures are mostly down. Biggest loser today is cotton, 1.37% to the downside. Biggest winner? Soybeans up three quarters of a point. Uh, Dow is down 0.29%. S&P down 0.4%. NASDAQ down damn near a full point. S&P mini down one quarter of a point. Real money is at $43,676.50. Yeah, 269,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours. That's 11,000 transactions every hour on the hour. 678,000 BTC have been sent in that period. 28,266 BTC being sent around the horn in that 24 hours with an average transaction value of two and a half BTC and a median transaction value of 0 0.015 BTC or 661 bucks. Block times are still low, nine minutes and 10 seconds. 0.07 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, 11.7 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. And with a 9.57% rise in hash rate, we're up back up to 231.43 exahashes per second. Okay, guys, back when I, you know, 2015 or whatever, we had nowhere close to this amount of hash rate. It just didn't exist. And we were talking, I remember discussions being like somebody saying, oh, the hash rate has dropped by 10%. It's now only, I don't know, let's say five exahashes per second. Yeah, it was in the double digits way back when. And it was lower than that when it first started for obvious reasons. But, 
you know, back in the day, let's talk about where it was around single-digit exahashes. And it would drop 5% or, or 10%. So it'd be like we'd lose like, you know, a half a whole, you know, tenth of a, you know, tenth of a percent or whatever, or 10%. And people would freak out and say, oh my God, now we're in a position where the governments are going to be able to attack Bitcoin with a 51% attack. And the, you know, opposing side would say, no, that's not going to happen. It's still like, you're still talking about five exahashes or a little, you know, over four exahashes per second. It's going to be fucking fine, bro. And in the arguments, it was just back and forth. And every time we lost hash rate, it was the same fucking story. And we were in single digit hash rates. And here we are at 231 exahashes per second. And if we lose 10% of the hash rate, guess what's gonna happen? We could lose 5% of the hash rate, which we do, honestly, a lot. But if we lose 10, 20, 50% of the hash rate, we are still so far above five exahashes per second back in the day and nothing was able to be done to Bitcoin. We really need to eject the fear of the hash rate thing. This system is so overprotected. I'm not really certain why anybody actually is scared at this point. I mean, we should be vigilant. Yeah, that's one thing. But singing the death of Bitcoin because we have a 10%, 20%, 50% fall in hash rate hasn't worked out very well. So stop it. Your shitcoin indicator is Doge, 14.7 United States pennies. Let's see, we have 6,223 transactions waiting on four blocks to clear. $826.8 billion in total market cap is 6.73% of gold's market cap. And we can still get 23.3 ounces of shiny metal rocks with our one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,959,962.8 of, and 3,446.2 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $150.3 million, being run over 20,063 nodes with a squared up 86,000 payment channels. 76.1% of all of it's being run over Tor and its 11,607 associated nodes that we know about. That's gonna be it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Are we at war with Ukraine yet? I don't know. Everything is, this is so confusing. It's like, I have no idea what the hell's going on. I got Russia obviously massed at the border of Ukraine. I got reports out of the United States that the attack is imminent and they definitely are going to do it. I got the people in the Ukraine at the parliamentary level saying, what are you talking about? Russia is not going to invade us. We, we, we want to know what evidence you have. Putin, I don't know what Putin's doing. I think Putin's just basically sitting back and laughing his ass off at this point at everybody. Fan of Putin? No, not really, but I don't dislike him either. I, he's a dictator. He's one of these assholes that walks around and he reaches for things and he does stuff. You're never going to get rid of him. So, you know, spending your time on hating the man isn't going to do it. You might as well respect the dude because the fact that he rides bare shirtless and laughs his ass off at the world because all he has to do is sit on his ass and move pieces around a chessboard is actually kind of funny. 
And if you don't find, if you can't find the humor in it, then politics is probably not for you. As Ukrainian resistance groups raise Bitcoin funds, improved privacy is becoming critical. Bitcoin Magazine's Sean Amick has it. Let's get it going on amid rising tensions between Ukraine and Russian military forces. Elliptic, a blockchain analysis company, released a report claiming that $570,000 worth of cryptocurrency donations have been sent to multiple non-government organizations in Ukraine resisting Russian forces. Among the range of cryptocurrencies being used by these groups, Bitcoin specifically accounts for hundreds of thousands of dollars worth, with some groups exclusively raising funds in BTC. The analysis firm made this conclusion by tracing wallet addresses, addresses posted on websites of these organizations supporting the Ukrainian army. For instance, the picture below was taken from the website for Come Back Alive, one of the largest groups supporting the Ukrainian army, which allows a quick path to donations and an even quicker path to traceability paired with the absence of privacy. Let's kind of just stop right here for a sec. What we now have is the idea of war bonds the way that they were done in the United States and other countries, but around the time of world, you know, during the world wars, you know, back, back in the, you know, before 1950, you know, the United States government would go around and they would, you know, use the USO dancing girls to raise war bonds. I had the choice at that time. Well, I wasn't alive at that time, but if I was, I would have had the choice to go to my bank, pull out cash, give it to the United States government, and they would give me a bond. I would now be a United States government bond, war bond holder, which is very much like a treasury bond. And then upon the winning of the war, I would, I guess, get my money back and some interest. I don't know. But the point is, is that it was my choice. As an American citizen today, I have no choice to fund or not fund a war. And Bitcoin is bringing back the war bond. You may hate war. I do. I don't want anybody having to go to war. I've talked to enough people that have actually been over in fucking Iraq and some other, you know, godforsaken places and had long discussions with them to know that I never, ever want to go to war. I will never allow my children to be drafted into the military. Yeah, they'll sign up for the draft. If a draft comes, I'm getting them out of the fucking country. Not going to do it. I've talked to too many soldiers that have been shot at and killed other people and seen what happens to their fucking mind, especially when they find out that what they fought for was induced by a lie. Several lies. When they find out when they figure it out, when it becomes clear to them that they engaged in some of the most heinous activity that a human could ever engage in, it is mind-destroying for life. They are fucked for life. The only people that are not fucked for life after a war are the people that have not come to the conclusion that they got into a war and they killed other people and they lost their legs on a lie. That's the only people that can do that. So Bitcoin allows the reinstitution of that which is known as the war bond. But this time it's not even done by the government. It's just done by people, for people, 
Does that mean that there's not some kind of weird shit going on behind the scenes? Is it possible these people could be getting scammed out of their money? Yes, absolutely, positively, 100%. They could be getting scammed out of their money. I have no idea how this moves forward into the future, but what I am seeing right now is that people are just, they're just circumventing the governments at this point. I don't like the fact that these are non-governmental institutions because NGOs scare the piss out of me. They're not exactly as non-governmental as you are led to believe. That's all a lie as well. Be that as it may, it is people making a choice as to where to put their money given only their own thoughts, their own reasoning, their own gut reactions, and not being forced to do it at the end of another gun the one that's being held on your head, on your own soil, by your own countrymen in the form of taxes. Tax is theft, and that theft results in violence. It was violence that got your money in the first place, and it's violence that it's going to fund. If At least give me the choice that if I'm going to fund violence, at least give me the choice to say yes or no. So there's the ramp. Uh, aptly named from its first donation of bulletproof vest to the army, inscribed with the words, come back alive, the easy traceability of this group's Bitcoin donations is significant. Since it saw over $200,000 worth of Bitcoin donations come in the second half of 2021, as per elliptic analysis, these groups are the meat space manifestation of the decentralization that Bitcoin is meant to enable. Privacy is one or privacy for one can mean privacy for us all. And just because this isn't your battle today, that doesn't mean tomorrow is guaranteed. Groups like Comeback Alive show us that sovereignty is a necessity in matters of war, but so is privacy. So how do we fix the easy traceability that this group and others are seeing? Dmitro Karkov, a former member of the Ukrainian Mamey Institute think tank and current freelance economist, a freelance economist, is that like an assassin? And analyst based in Ukraine emphasized that privacy is of the utmost importance during these rising tensions. Quote, the belief that privacy means less during a war is incorrect. On the contrary, as the war directly threatens people's lives and property, privacy considerations become central to most people, Kharkov said. For example, in 2014, during the first active phase of the Russo-Ukrainian war, armed terrorists from the so-called DPR and LPR actively expropriated wealth and property, such as automobiles in the occupied regions of Ukraine. Due to the minimal awareness of Bitcoin back then, people were unable to effectively protect their property. In addition, Karkov pointed out that the use of Bitcoin-based donations and the growing need for their privacy is a trend that will only grow in contemporary warfare. Moreover, Ukraine's case illustrates that modern wars include not only conventional warfare, but also ideological subversion, propaganda, fake news, cyber warfare, etc., etc. He explained, Under such conditions, privacy becomes the central aspect of people's freedom preservation. One of the major benefits of Bitcoin is raising the questions of maintaining privacy in the face of war. After considering one's conditions, technical expertise, plans, and preferences, every person can make better supported decisions. Clearly, privacy matters. In fact, some might say it matters most in moments like this. But how can groups come back alive, maintain their privacy while still allowing potential donors an easy method of providing funds? 
enter the BIP47 payment codes. Bitcoin improvement proposal, BIP47 is known as reusable payment codes for hierarchical deterministic wallets. It might sound complicated and it is, but it's also exceptionally user-friendly once implemented correctly. BIP47 can be broken down into four points. One, payment code an extended public key. Think of this as a normal address that you'd send Bitcoin to as Comeback Alive is using on its site, except that when this one is used, it creates a notification address. This is ultimately a decoy address. Two, notification address. This is found by using a notification transaction, which happens when a donor interacts with the payment code or address mentioned above. This Transaction happens when a donor sends Bitcoin to the address, the payment code. A secret is derived from this transaction, which leads users to a designated input, which leads us to the designated input. This is the first input of the notification trans transaction. This reveals the designated public key being used in the transaction in which the outputs are being sent. The designated public key is the actual address for which the coins will be spent. To summarize, a payment code is a decoy address that allows every individual transaction to never reuse the same wallet address, allowing privacy for the reception of funds and privacy for donor identity. And now we talk about the power of BTC Pay Server. Consideration, considering that the goal of groups aiding Ukrainian forces is to accept large amounts of donations from givers across the world, the idea of creating a new public address manually, even by the day or week, can seem egregiously burdensome for groups like Come Back Alive. Another option is utilizing BTC Pay Server, which is an open source and self-hosted payment processor for Bitcoin. A service like BTC Pay allows its users to automate the creation of new addresses for every transaction, though it does require a bit of self-starter attitude. How does BTC Pay offer heightened levels of privacy? Well, no middlemen are involved. The information is shared between customer and sellers only. Self-hosted users run a full node, no address reuse, there is Tor support and pay join support as well. Quote, reusing an address for receiving payments is a privacy issue. Providing a different address manually to each customer is not an optimal solution. Imagine having to send a unique email to everyone that wants to pay you with cryptocurrency. BTC Pay solves the address reuse issue. It automates the checkout process for the merchant by creating a new invoice with a unique address created from the merchant's wallet each time a customer pays using BTC or BTC Pay. End quote. While the fact that BTC Pay is self-hosted means that a certain amount of technical know-how is required to use it, getting past the startup allows for easier automated maintenance. Organizations like the ones currently supporting the Ukrainian military could benefit greatly by setting up BTC Pay Server, which would utilize the same methods as outlined in BIP 47, allowing a single-use address perception to be associated with the identity of the group while providing donation transactions with a greater level of privacy. Privacy is existential to Bitcoin. Groups like Come Back Alive represent decentralized communities organizing around a shared goal. In this case, their belief in resistance to nation state rule. 
It is imperative that when opportunities arise to truly provide an opt-out financial system, the Bitcoin community rally behind that cause and do the due diligence of privacy education. Methods like BIP47, its automation through services like BTC Pay, as well as future improved implementations of it, will all be necessary for the preservation of privacy and security at scale. Woo! Oh, yes! I am a big, big fan of BIP47. I really am. I don't know why it's not implemented across the board. And at one point or another, is there anybody that's working at PayNim that can make an iOS version of this thing? Please. You can even, you can even say, uh, like when, BT, when uh, uh, PayNim comes up on my iOS phone, that the app says, we hate iPhone and we are like, you know, being dragged to actually produce this because that idiot, you know, ghost of Nunya keeps bitching and moaning about it. Don't use iOS. I, I'm fine with that. I want a pay nim for God's sakes, people make it easier for me. Uh, now making it easier for people. This is not what the following is about from business tech. Uh, this is by a staff writer, by the way. They don't even give the person's name. New pension changes coming to South Africa before the end of February. Listen carefully. The National Treasury will enter this, by the way, this is South Africa, not the United States, just in case you skip that part. The National Treasury will introduce new pension fund regulations for South Africa before the end of February, says Deputy Finance Minister David Masondo. The changes are aimed at, quote, unlocking, end quote, new investment in infrastructure by the private sector and form part of the process to amend Regulation 28 of the Pensions Fund Act to enable retirement funds to invest in infrastructure. Quote, these amendments introduce more effective maximum limits for the trustees of retirement funds to invest for the long term in various forms of infrastructure projects, he said. Quote, the National Treasury has also completed a review of the private-public partnerships regulatory framework to improve the pace at which PPP projects are planned and to address regulatory challenges. This will allow greater private sector participation and crowd in higher levels of investment. What, why am I even talking about this? Because they're guiding fund managers to invest in infrastructure project, build back better with infrastructure. The infrastructure bill in the United States, is this starting to become clear? As a pensioner or as a, pos as a potential pensioner in South Africa, as I work in South Africa, if I'm a South African citizen and I'm there and I'm working for a South African country, the people that are handling my pension funds as I put money into that system are now being guided to infrastructure projects. The fund manager can't just do with the money the way that pension managers used to do. I'll buy some JP Morgan. I'll put it over here into, I don't know, BlackRock. We'll, we'll buy some, some Warren Buffett shit. No, now a percentage apparently is going to have to go to South African infrastructure projects. They are raping the pensions. This is how it starts. It looks good. Long-term investments. Who wouldn't want to own a part of a toll road? 
we're going to get lots of money. No, you're going to lose money into the whole World Economic Foundation or whatever the fuck the WEF is called and that idiot Klaus Schwab, you're going to give him money, either directly or indirectly. It doesn't matter because this is all part of infrastructure slash build back better. Your pension funds. If you live in South Africa, I highly recommend GTFO. Conico Phillips is selling extra gas to Bitcoin miners. Well, why wouldn't they? Nomsios has it for Bitcoin Magazine. Oil and gas giant ConocoPhillips has indirectly entered the Bitcoin mining business. The company has spun up a pilot Bitcoin project in Bakken, North Dakota, though through which it sells natural gas that would otherwise be burned for disposal or flared to a Bitcoin mining farm operated by a third party. Bakken houses one of the largest deposits of oil and natural gas in the United States, a phenomenon that led to the Bakken oil boom that has made the state of North Dakota the second leading oil producer state in the country behind only Texas, according to Earth Resources Observation and Science. ConocoPhillips Bitcoin Initiative helps it achieve its goal of phasing out the practice of routinely burning off natural gas that it finds while drilling for oil in its largest segments by production. Oil and gas companies have for decades resorted to flaring when gas is produced as a byproduct of oil extraction, and there's no nearby infrastructure available to put the gas to use. Even though flaring is better than venting, directly liberating the gas to the air, that's what venting is, it still poses issues. Not only does it pollute, but it also is wasteful as it's effectively, you know, burning money. With its Bitcoin pilot, ConocoPhillips is both monetizing energy that would otherwise be wasted in reducing its environmental impact as the process reduces CO2 equivalent emissions by over 60% compared to routinely flaring, according to research by Denver-based Crusoe Energy Systems. On the other side of the spectrum, the mutually beneficial collaboration enables a Bitcoin miner to turn stranded energy into increased security for the Bitcoin network and monetary profits for its business. So ConocoPhillips is now on deck. Uh, Drain crypto accounts at IRA Financial leave victims searching for answers. Good Lord. Coindesk and who is writing it? Danny Nelson. They joined IRA Financial Trust, eager to build a nest egg in crypto. Instead, some users told Coindesk the retirement accounts were drained, frozen, and locked with little explanation of what happens next. It's been nearly one week since the apparent security breach threw IRA financials clients into crisis mode. With $36 million of the retirement savings in limbo and no full explanation from either IRA financial or Gemini, the crypto exchange owned by the Winklevi twins, Cameron and Tyler, and custodian where the crypto was held, they've begun organizing a response to crypto's latest hack. Users appearing to count in the dozens, there are dozens of us, have begun reaching out to news organizations and regulators wanting to know how they lost possibly millions of dollars on February the 8th when an apparent bad actor began withdrawing funds en masse from Gemini. IRA Financial Trust is one of a handful of firms that run their retirement, uh, retirement account services atop Gemini's institutional trading and custody suite. That is all you need to know. I talked about it before, but now they're organizing. But just to be clear, this is a reminder that IRA Financial has lost $38 million and the hack occurred on Gemini Exchange. What does this mean? 
If you're using any exchange, whether it's Coinbase, Kraken, Gemini, does not matter. It's not like, oh, see what happened to Gemini? That means Kraken is better. No, it's not. It's still an exchange. It's still susceptible for hacking. Do yourself a favor. Do your future self a favor and do your future family a favor and get your shit off of the exchanges. Do it today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Do it today. Just saying. Now, what else we got here? Uh, Major crypto company announces plans on money laundering. The travel rule is coming to Kraken and Coinbase and all that shit. Jeff John Roberts has more from Decrypt. Coinbase. Robinhood, and more than a dozen other crypto firms announced a plan on Wednesday to comply with new rules recently issued by the Financial Action Task Force, an international body dedicated to fighting money laundering and terrorist financing. The new rules concern the so-called travel rule, which requires financial institutions to collect information about the sender of transactions worth more than $3,000 between financial institutions. FATF made clear last autumn that the travel rule applies to crypto firms. FATF is not an elected body by anybody, any government, any population on the face of the fucking planet. Why do we give a shit? Build back better. Infrastructure, let's drain your fucking pensions. Is it all becoming clear yet? Yet, is it? In response, a coalition of crypto companies has been working on a plan to comply with that requirement. The result of that work is what they are calling, get this, trust. Short for Travel Rule Universal Solution Technology. A set of arrangements they say will ensure compliance while also protecting customer privacy bullshit. Notably, Trust obliges the member companies to use end-to-end encryption when sending data to each other and to never store customer information in a way that could be vulnerable to third-party attacks. It also establishes a set of minimum security practices. The initial members of Trust are Anchorage, Avanti, BitGo, Bitflyer, Bittrex, BlockFi, Circle, Coinbase, Fidelity, Digital Assets, SM, Gemini, Kraken, Paxos, Robinhood, Standard Custody and Trust, Simbridge, TradeStation, Zero Hash, and Zodia Custody. Stay away from all of those fucking companies. According to Coinbase's top lawyer, Paul Gruel, the companies consulted FinCEN, the unit of the Treasury Department dedicated to financial crimes, in developing the trust proposal. In an interview with Coinbase, he said the solution will work when it comes to transfer between trust members. Gruel added that the trust members expect more companies will join their ranks in the coming months. There are some notable absences among the list of initial trust members, including crypto exchanges, FTX, and Binance. According to Gruel, the question of whether crypto transactions between trust and non-trust members are compliant with the travel rule will be sorted out over time. Another, Another major unresolved issue and one that came up in FATF discussions over the past two years is how to make entities within the realm of DeFi comply with the travel rule. In particular, it remains to be seen how decentralized protocols and wallets will collect the requisite travel rule information, such as the name and addresses of transaction participants. Fuck you. Gruel acknowledged such questions are far from resolved, but said 
that the trust represents an important first step as the crypto industry navigates the complex task of complying with global anti-money laundering rules. As the proverb goes, the best way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. What the proverb also doesn't say is that the fucking elephant will never get finished being eaten. It's too big. And they will never, ever, 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 ever get my wallet that I use to do the travel rule. If I have to, I'll resort to a fucking paper wallet. I, you know, when I first got into this space, I said one, I asked a question on Twitter. One of the stupidest questions ever was, should I go ahead and start generating a shit ton of addresses now rather than later so that we actually have legacy addresses to use when all, when the inevitable bullshit clown show comes to town and people fucking laughed at me. And I think that they were right to laugh at me at the time. And I still think in the way that it was originally phrased, that it's kind of a stupid idea. However, I'm going to ask it in a different way. Should I go ahead and start buying a whole shit ton of hardware wallets now? Should I go ahead and get a whole bunch of cold cards and open dimes now? Should I go ahead and get as much open source wallet construction software that I can find now? Possibly. 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 Now, last up, Fed never did it. U.S. Senate banking head lashes out at Super Bowl crypto ads. Prashant Jha has it for Cointelegraph. The Super Bowl advertisements by crypto companies, including Coinbase, FTX, and several others, ruled social media and news headlines for their out-of-the-box approach. However, United States Senate Banking Committee Chief Sherrod Brown was not impressed and blasted the ad makers for not including appropriate warnings and risks involved. Well, you know, Sherrod, maybe you should talk to the fucking FCC because that's the governing body over advertisements and communications over airways that are controlled by government licensure. If you had any idea how our own fucking country worked, you would be bitching at the FCC and not at these guys. Although... I'm not exactly, oh, well, fuck it. Brown, during the Tuesday Senate hearing on stablecoins, brought in the topic of popular crypto advertisements that aired during the Super Bowl. He said, most of these ads failed to tell people about the downsides of investing in cryptocurrencies. The companies failed to mention the wild price swings and prevalent scams that occur in the market or the fact that the crypto market is not as well regulated as the traditional ones. Super Bowl advertisement slots are popular and companies such as Coinbase and FTX paid nearly $20 million a piece for a 30-second ad slot. Brown lashed out at the crypto companies, claiming they are just trying to make big profits and reaching out to as, as many Americans as they can. He also said that if crypto is money, many of these companies claim it is. Why do they need to spur, splurge millions to promote it? He said, and I quote, the fact that these companies felt the need to advertise at all is a bit of a giveaway about one of their major claims. If this were actually be actually meant to be used as currency, why would you need to buy ads? I've never seen the Federal Reserve buy a multi-million dollar commercial for U.S. dollars, end quote. The crypto community on Twitter was not pleased with the Senate banking head's take on crypto ads. As one user wrote, quote, 
As if fiat currencies have never had issues with transparency, use illegality, being untraceable, used worldwide in criminal ways, and the like, fear, uncertainty, doubt rules the day for some, end quote. And another user com recommended a more detailed education on cryptocurrencies, quote, it sounds like Senator Sherrod Brown needs a crypto education. Brian Brooks, time to make another house call, end quote. The Tuesday Senate hearing saw Brown also advocate against stablecoins, claiming they endanger the economy and hard-earned money of Americans. However, Representative Josh Gottenheimer introduced a new legislature for government-insured stablecoins quite similar to fiat deposits. I think he meant legislation, but that's the end of the article. However, and Greg, if you're still listening, I, I think I hear what you're howling. Let's read this quote again. The fact that these companies felt the need to advertise at all is a bit of a giveaway about one of the major claims. If this were actually be meant to be used as currency, why would you need to buy ads? I've never seen the Federal Reserve buy a multi-million dollar commercial for U.S. dollars. No, Sherrod, you don't. I've never seen an advertisement for the United States dollar usage at all. What I do see are several fucking Pacific fleets. I see aircraft carriers. I see the USS Ronald Reagan as the largest advertisement for using the United States dollar than any Super Bowl commercial that you could ever purchase. You want a fucking ad? You're asking why they splurged money on ads? Can I ask you why it cost $10 billion to build a battleship? and $100 billion or whatever it costs to build the USS Ronald Reagan, which can go over to the Mediterranean, launch some of the deadliest weaponry ever that can go 1,500 miles, bomb the living fuck out of brown people and come the fuck back and land safely in the Mediterranean where no airport ever existed before. If that's not an advertisement for using the United States dollar, I don't know what is. Up your ass, Sherrod Brown. The fact that you said this demeans everything. The military, the people who were in the military, the machinery, the builders of the machinery, everything is degraded because you know that the United States dollar is indeed and has indeed been advertised for decades except it's at the end of a gun, not on a screen in my living room. That's going to do it for the Morning Roundup. You know, I was going to do a joke, but after that one, I just can't. There is, it's just too serious. Sherrod Brown can go fuck himself, but we do have other things to talk about. Uh, if you want to support the show, support what I do. Podcasting 2.0 is the way for you. I can watch your sat stream into my lightning node that I control, that doesn't comply with FATF, that doesn't comply with the travel rule. Screw all those guys. They can go fall off the USS Ronald Reagan somewhere in the middle of the Mediterranean. 
by doing that, I get to see the sats flow in. I get to know that you're listening to that episode. I get to know all kinds of neat stuff, but I don't know who. I can just, I get, it's insanely satisfying to see those sats flow in. But if you are uncomfortable with Lightning Network and Satoshi spending and all that kind of stuff on Podcasting 2.0, which you can find on Fountain App, Sphinx Chat, and uh, Breeze Wallet, my three favorites, you can use, if you would rather, uh, use Patreon and use the fiat rails that are guarded and advertised by the United States military and others uh, by going to Patreon or and looking for Bitcoin and podcast. That's Bitcoin and podcast, all one word on patreon.com. And yes, it's the legacy system. Yes, it uses the legacy financial system. Yes, it can be crushed. Yes, I can be deleted from it. But I was asked by some listeners, can you please find a way that I can just use my dirty fiat with a credit card? Now, Patreon was the best, the best lay, you know, the, the best one that I could find at the time. And so I've got it and I've got patrons on there and I appreciate everybody who's giving their hard earned money for me to sit here and rant about the U.S. military advertising the United States dollars in foreign fields afar. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.